This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. Today, we're going to continue the study of the Gospel of Mark, focusing on chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Before we get there, we have a hotly debated topic that we've been talking about before we even started recording. We wanted to make sure you guys could hear and join in on what I think is healthy versus not healthy desserts. And so you all could side with me and tell Michael he's crazy. Wait. I didn't I didn't hear Gianna's taking, options yet. Yeah, Gianna was taking, you were taking the side of healthy desserts? Because that's not how I remember this discussion going. Well, let's, let's back up, Gianna. What are you no, currently no, no, right. eating? What is in your mouth right okay. now? I am eating a miniature ice cream cone from Trader Joe's. With Shout out. Yep. Okay. And, um, this is not a healthy dessert option. That's not Disagree. what I was saying. But <laughs> Michael's like, if I'm going to eat dessert, it's going to be good yeah. for you. Try a no, protein no, bar. No, no. here's what dessert. he said. He said, here's my favorite dessert, a protein bar, <laughs> muscle milk. I don't even know yes. what muscle milk is. Chocolate muscle milk. <laughs> no, that can't no. be good. Uh and then what was it? Ratio yogurt? <laughs> Ratio yogurt. It's 25 grams of protein. No. And, and full of natural flavors, number one, which is yeah. going to kill you slowly. Thank anyway. you. We no, might as well eat no. the mini cone. There's, there's no sugar. There, there's like one gram of sugar in each of those. High protein, a good pure protein bar, a muscle milk chocolate. That sounds awful. Like that, <laughs> that sounds to me, like I said, you are basically preparing in case you go to hell. <laughs> like that's that's what they serve there <laughs> for dessert. <laughs> what? They serve no. Yeah. Have you taken I'm, a trip? Like, how do you know? Well, I, tell, I, I right. have a hunch. He, he speaks with authority on the on the uh, menu in hell. But no, here's the thing. What I'm saying is, it doesn't take long to readjust your taste buds. So that, so that that kind of stuff seems like great. Like I look forward every morning to like, oh, I get to go have a chocolate muscle milk. Dude. It's like eating a bowl of ice cream for oh, me. Oh, man. I, that, that, you, no, false. I agree with you that you can rewire your brain to think that dessert is something else than like full of sugar and American treats. But those are not the ones which you're saying that I think you should switch to. But who am I? I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a. Right. What are those right. people that do, you know, food, tell you what to eat? And a banana I, or an apple? Why, why would I have a piece of pie when I could have a banana or an apple? Oh, that, is the, that is the worst freeze, thing I've ever heard. Look, chop up the banana and freeze it. Then when it's frozen, blend it with cocoa powder, almond milk, which has no binders in it. And then it's like an ice cream. It's called nice cream. Oh, and you can yeah. put your own type of sugar in if you want honey, if you want maple <laughs> no, syrup, no, or no. none. And... Well, no. Unflavored pure protein powder. I'll tell you the oh, best is a healthy is dessert. Happening? The be- no, the best recipe for almond milk is you first you got to chill it for a couple of hours, oh. take it out of the refrigerator, open the top, walk over to the <laughs> toilet, pour it in. That's oh, what I was going to say about the bananas. <laughs> what is wrong? With- <laughs> That's what None I was going to say us- about fruit. <laughs> We're not okay. going to agree on this. We are but so I- off topic. Okay, yes, well, I gave us the amount of time for me to finish my mini ice cream cone. Jason, you get the last word on this. Okay, now I forgot. Dang it! What I was gonna say, <laughs> and it was gonna it was gonna shut this argument. It was gonna be a now. roast. It was gonna be a public yeah, it's apology. Like, it's like Stockholm syndrome, where you convince yourself to love <laughs> no. something that's garbage, but like, look, you can trick your chase taste buds <laughs> to love garbage. Like, <laughs> but why? But it's why would so you do healthy. It? It's not for your taste buds. It is, okay. But it, okay, it is. That's but. that's fine. Yeah, I'm well, I'm still a growing boy though. I need I need hot dogs and you need I actually sugar. eat healthy. I, I'm just kidding. It's the dessert part that has me hung up. It's a healthy dessert right. feels. All right, good. Gianna. Well, I do want to talk about our Patreon though. Ooh, I feel like we have some more people that what have been mean? supporting us. Oh yes, we do. Um, you know what? At the end of the show. I yep. will read our our new Patreon supporters, give them a little shout out. So remind me to do that. But yesterday, as we record this today, uh, yesterday, Jason and I recorded our first Patreon episode of songs we shouldn't sing. 
and yeah, and we're going to do a series on that. We're also going to start another series of It's Hard to Say with Jason Alexander, where we tackle difficult and controversial passages in the Bible and kind of go through and exegete them. But our first song that we dealt with was the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And so we break down the history of that and maybe uh, some of the problems and reasons why we should not be singing that song in our public worship. So if you do want to hear that uh, episode, you have to be a Patreon supporter. You have to and go pay to up. <laughs> Patreon.com backslash icon podcast. Yeah, that didn't sound mafia-like at all, Jason. <laughs> it's just some form of manipulation, it sounded <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> it no, is a bribe, said- basically, right? Like, hey, support us, and then you get you get to listen to this episode. So, uh-huh. but, but it's worth it because Jason and Michael, they have great thoughts and I mean, I don't even know what they said about it yet, so I'm going to have to check it out. Does that mean I have to support us? You do? No. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I'll tell Reggie to get on that. Yeah. <laughs> tell him to start working. Reggie's <laughs> no, loaded. It'll be fine. <laughs> Reggie, just well, fund us. <laughs> exciting stuff for Patreon supporters, getting the extra access for the Icon podcast. And we have a lot more coming for you. But today, which I have to mention, Michael said... Well, we talked about this yesterday, and we're doing this today as if people know what day it is that we're recording, daytime, but, you know. Well, that's why I said today as we're recording this. It doesn't, yeah. It's just a generic today. That's cool. Well, today we're going over Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and it's a sizable chunk, and hopefully everyone read that before we got here. So, in our reading glasses on. That is the first section. I know Jason, before we even started, said he had some things that he observed. Jason, what are you seeing in this passage that you want to bring up? Because obviously there could be a lot, but give us a few. Well, I don't remember saying that, but I tell you what, <laughs> I can always <laughs> come up with something to say. Um, no, there. <clears throat> I'm just kind of looking, looking over it again here. I think... Uh, the King of the Jews part is where I would probably spend most of my time because it's just such a uh, it's such a claim, um, and it happens a few times. But the in this passage, uh, but obviously we're talking about um, Jesus being arrested. And 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 mocked and beaten, and all of the royal imagery, and, and it's not even just imagery; it's overtly they're they're mocking him, uh, hailing him as a you know with scare quotes, king of the Jews, you know, uh, making fun of him. But uh, what we see as readers, as believers of this story, is like it's it's intense. It's intense because. You're, you're you're making fun of him, but you don't know. You're you're making the claim. You, you're saying what Mark has been trying to say, and that is Jesus is actually the King. He is he is God. He is the the uh, the kingdom of God. Who is a reference to His kingdom. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I, I'd leave it there. There are other things, yeah, Barabbas and revolutionaries and insurrection that probably we should talk about too, but um, just the overt royalty uh, of this of these verses. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, for me, before we head over to Michael, um, I don't have much to point out. Obviously, there's a ton I could, but one thing that stuck out this time, because I feel like we've gone over this a lot if you're in our movement, um, but verse four says, so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? I'm like, that line would have got me. Like, I don't like to be accused of anything. And so to see Jesus's nature of, he's not bothered of, about being accused by anybody. Like he knows who he is. He knows the father and that's enough for him. Cause it even follows in verse five and it said, but Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. I'm like, Pilate, I'm like, what? Like, I want to defend myself. I want people to know, like, my name's not going to be tarnished, and this is who I am, this is what I'm about, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus doesn't like that, so it just gives me some pause to think about 
why am I so triggered when people say things or accuse me of things that I clearly know either I'm not or I am, whatever it is. Uh, but Jesus is just not bothered by others. He's on a mission. So that was what I see when I read right now. Michael, observations yeah. in this section. Okay, dude. There is so much. Dude. Right? Dude, there is that so much in this section. Um, and there's, there's honestly, there's a lot of little language clues, allusions, irony. Um, Mark has packed this section. If, if we wanted to park here for a couple of weeks and really dig into all of the little things Mark is doing in this section that he does want us to pull out as careful readers and, and to see it, it is just, it is chock full phrases, titles. Uh, Jason mentioned one, the King of the Jews. There's, there's an irony running throughout this passage in that the people surrounding Jesus here, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers that will come at the end of the passage, um, are mocking Jesus and kind of mocking him for claiming that he's king. And all along, you know, leading him down this path up to the cross. And all along, Mark is like, do you see it? This is how he is becoming king. He is the cross-shaped king with the cross-shaped kingdom. And this is his coronation. They think they're mocking him. They think they're winning. They think they are, um, you know, getting rid of him. And as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 2, if the powers and authorities and those working under their influence, these leaders here, knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have put Jesus to the cross. They they wouldn't have done this because this is how he's becoming king. So we have that language and irony playing out. We have Jesus throughout Mark, you know, warning his disciples that he, pr- pr- predicting that he would be handed over to the Jewish leaders and that they would be handed over if they weren't careful and using that phrase. And now Mark uses it several times in this passage. He was handed over. He was handed over. He was handed over. So we see Mark saying, yeah, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. And so even though it looks like a terrible thing, it's further proof that Jesus is who he says he is. He knew what was going on. He was, he was spot on. Um, he is the king. And, you know, and so Pilate questions him, um, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, you you said it. You got it. Um, I don't think he's saying that in the sense of, well, that's what you say. But he's saying like, yeah, you, you said so. You, you, you nailed it. I am. And so there's this deep irony going on. And then when we get to Barabbas, um, more language irony that the, the beginning of Mark you know, when Jesus is being baptized, what does God say about him? You are my beloved son. And there's all that imagery there of Isaac and Joseph being the beloved son and, and so on. And then you have Barabbas, which means son of father. And and so there's this irony there. And we'll get more into the Jesus and Barabbas thing when we get to the time machine. But so there's there's ironic language there. Um, and then being given a choice, just flat out. Uh, boy, Jason, I, I can't imagine Mark drawing a more pointed edge uh, on this. Uh, you know, the whole way he's been talking about the way of the cross or, you know, you're going to take the easy way or the way of the cross. And now here it comes. It's like it's a literal vote that the people have. Which, which way are you going to take? Which type of king do you want? Uh, which type of son are you going to select here? Uh, the beloved son or the son of the father? The revolutionary or the, the cross-shaped king? And so we have that choice. And then, uh, you know, as, as we know, the, the crowds made a clear choice. And then the soldiers come in. And again, they can, they, they're mocking Jesus. They're kind of walking him through as though he's um, in a, uh, um, 
you know, Roman, um, oh, geez, the word's escaping me, Jason. What a triumphal ceremony, right? Um, as though he's a he's a conquering hero. In a triumphal ceremony, you would have the conquering heroes and the conquered. And so they're kind of ironically taking Jesus as the conquered, but dressing him up and mocking him like he's the conquering hero. And again, the, the deep truth is he is the conquering hero. He is actually the king that they're mocking him to be, but they, they don't see it. Um, and so then they, they treat him deplorably from that. So there's, there's so much here that really encapsulates everything Mark has been trying to bring together. And it's, coming to, it's kind of coming together in, in a head right here in Mark. So it's an amazing passage, so much to study here. So those are a lot of your observations. As we move along to the time machine, what are we going to point out here? What does Mark want us to see in Jesus' interaction with Pilate? Yeah, Jason, you, you got any thoughts on that? You want to start with Jesus and Pilate? Um, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> I don't know which, which you know, what language to, to use here. Um, Probably English is well, what yeah, most of mean, our audience I didn't mean what, Yeah, what speaks. tongue. I didn't mean like, yeah, what <laughs> tongue I should use or like, <laughs> I mean, what sort of English language, forgive me. Um, uh, it's, it's almost laughable. Um, uh, again, from the perspective of belief, using that hermeneutic of belief, uh, or openness that we see standing before what is in comparison, a puny King with, with, um, with a certain amount of, of power. Uh, but, but the, the king of all creation, uh, humbly, uh, yeah, in in the in the place of a what the the Walking Dead is that what you call the someone uh, sentenced to death? What do you call that? Walking Dead, right? Is that what you call someone on death row? De- De- dead dead man, man walking. walking. Yeah, okay. Walking Dead is something else. Um, that's but, zombies. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> so I was thinking, like, is that can't be right. Um, yeah, so I think the juxtaposition of the Empire of Rome and its representative, and the Kingdom of God and its representative, and just how how wildly different they are, and notions of power, uh, you know, from from each vantage point, they're just so different. Um, and yeah, so I I have more I have more to say. I'm not sure if now's the right moment yet, but I, I think. I think seeing Jesus as accomplishing the work of God's kingdom and how, how utterly different it is than, than Rome um, should be a bit of a, it should produce a kind of wrestling match within us, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, I'll deal with just the, the pilot part first here. I think it's really striking because throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been teaching, Mark has been emphasizing the, the call away from power that Jesus is giving if you're going to follow him. The way the cross is the opposite of power. It, it, it's just not that. It's an entirely different way to live. He says, Gentiles lord it over um, other people not so with you. And he's been trying to teach his disciples. That's that's really sums up the the kingdom and the way of the cross. And so here now is a direct confrontation. Here is Pilate with the power um, of life and death, the power of Rome behind him. But the other thing I find really interesting here, G, is, you know, Mark going all the way back to the parable of the sower is has been stressing Jesus' idea that you can be standing right next to me. You can hear the truth, but not perceive it. You can see it, but not understand it. And so watch how throughout this section, Mark highlights people 
who are actually saying and doing things that are true, but do not understand or perceive what they are doing. So Pilate says, you're the king of the Jews. You know, basically, um, are you the king of the Jews? Are you? The truth has just gone through his lips, but he doesn't, he doesn't understand it. Because he'll turn around then and give in to political power. He doesn't want to have a big headache with the Jewish leaders. It's easier uh, in this case. And, and Pilate's not a guy who's afraid to squash rebellions and use heavy-handed violence, but he doesn't want to get into that here. So he'd rather just sacrifice Jesus. But So he's standing right in front of truth. It's on his lips, but he doesn't see it. And because Mark has been challenging followers of Jesus to question ourselves in that way, it's, it's another reminder how easy it is to have access to truth, but not be, not live, out, live it out, not really um, put, put those clothes on and walk around in them, just have them hanging in the closet next to us. Yeah, so interesting. And something else that I thought of as you were speaking was, you know, God gives us a choice in everything. And it's so interesting in this portion of the passage that Pilate had choices to make, the crowd had choices to make. Like, Jesus never asserts his authority. He allows each, we'll say, group or person in this situation to make the choice. Pilate, obviously, we see what choice he made. But the crowd, I think it's just so shocking to me that God is a God of free will, not of force or anything like that. It's our choice to follow the way of the cross. And even in this moment, he's still like with his own life on the line, like, yeah, what what do you think about this? And I think we're faced with that in our everyday life to make choices following the cross, the way of the cross or not, uh, to choose to continue to believe in truth, to believe in Jesus, to act out our faith all these different things. And so for me, it was very visual in this moment to recognize God always gives people choice. How awesome is that? But that also can lead to people making a choice that's opposite of God's ways. So that was just my add there as you answered that question. We'll move on to the next. Why does Mark include this account with Barabbas? We focused on Pilate just a second ago. Why did he include Barabbas in this, in your opinion, Michael? Yeah. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to take this one for a minute, Jason. Is that okay, or did you want to jump in? Okay. So, um, now all the Gospels include, or, or I should say the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all include this account of Barabbas. And it's rather remarkable because, in a sense, Barabbas is the exact opposite of who Jesus is, right? He is a rebel. He's a revolutionary. He's taken up arms against Rome. He has fought Rome. He has um, put the cause of the Jewish people, the nationalism at the forefront, willing to sacrifice himself for that. And, uh, um, and, and Jesus, of course, is, is everything but that. He's been calling people away from nationalism, away from their own self-interest, away from um, violence and the, the sword and revolution and all of those sorts of things. And so here we have the son of a father. Um, and, and, and so in that sense, he's also kind of generic, you know, uh, it could be anybody. Um, sorry, my dog is going berserk in the background, as you can hear. But um, we have somebody, uh, one of my wife's friends just came over and that's my uh, that's my dog's job is to defend the realm. And so she will make sure everybody everybody knows that she is in charge um but uh yeah so you you have in a sense barabbas is a picture of the kind of leader that the disciples have been wanting 
throughout the Gospel of Mark, the one, you know, Peter rebukes Jesus, the, the one that they keep arguing about that will bring about this glorious kingdom and power and give them positions of comfort and status. This, this is Barabbas. He represents the, the hope of the disciples and of the crowds and of the Jewish leaders and the figures. And so Barabbas is opposed to everything Jesus is doing. But when given a choice, they choose Barabbas. And there's so much more imagery there that this whole process that Rome has sort of given into to appease the Jewish people and to kind of, you know, throw them a bone, so to speak. Hey, we'll release someone every year. It's in honor of Passover, you know, so there's this Passover tie-in when the when the lamb is sacrificed. There's, I think, allusions here to the scapegoat process where they would take two goats and one would be sacrificed and the other one would be released. Um, and so, you know, Barabbas gets his freedom. He takes it and they choose him and he runs off and he's free. And Jesus stands there quietly accepting uh, the way of the cross. And I think what it pictures is they don't want Jesus as king. The the crowds have, throughout the Gospel of Mark, not wanted Jesus as king. Not that kind of king. Not that kind of reign. They want the Barabbas kind of reign. And so they choose to see Jesus crucified. That's their choice. Barabbas gets freedom. Jesus gets the cross. The irony is, again, in so doing, they have led Jesus directly to his coronation because his kingdom is cross-shaped. And so they, without realizing it, they have chosen his very path of the embodiment of his kingdom and coronation. So there's a lot more I could say about Barabbas, but Jason, I'll let you jump in. If you've got anything to add yeah. there. No, I mean, you're just describing two approaches to the will of the Lord. Uh, you know, two, two ways of thinking about how God's going to accomplish his will. And one is a patient, like you said, Gianna, he's, I don't want to say he's comfortable, but he's, he's found the ability to trust God as things unfold, that God shall uh, deliver um, and deliver the whole world as as a result of how he delivers his, the son. And I've always I'm so struck by what you know. Jesus says, "I into your hands I commit my spirit." It's just such a it's you know some of the words on his lips near the end of his his life um, on the cross. And that's one way of thinking about what God shall do. Is this kind of quiet trust and being unmoved, and the other is a kind of hostile, anxious, uh, you know, ch- ideology. This charged idea uh, that that um, humans play a role in what God's going to do, and that role is to kind of like we talked about yesterday in our Patreon. Uh, you know that that role is to. Um, take the kingdom of God by force, uh, to, to do it ourselves, to use, to use violence or, you know, um, uh, what we have on hand to bring it about. And Barabbas represents that approach. Uh, we don't know anything about Barabbas as an individual, and it's almost like he, it's almost like he comes to be a type, like he represents a whole, a whole approach to the kingdom of God. Um, and Mark doesn't say that, but that's almost the sense you get. It's certainly how Mark seems to be presenting him, how Mark yeah. views him. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, that's right. And it, like you said, like Baraba, right? Bar is the Aramaic word for son. Abba, that's the word for father. Um, we even know those words in English. Don't some of the some of the what English translation actually says they it used keeps that bar like Simon Bar Bar Jonah isn't there a translation Simon Simon Bar Jonah there is I don't that would be I an example of right 
That would yeah. be an example of using bar for you know as the Aramaic word for son. But yeah, this is son, son of the father is literally a translation of the name. And and that it's could be Arabic now. Arabic now is similar with bin, right? Like uh, bin is son. Uh, I I don't know much Arabic. Uh, we had to do a little bit in in um in grad school, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Bin that sounds right. I know for Hebrew it's bain. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um. So I mean, that's. Uh, I could be languages. wrong, but I I thought. Yeah. Anyways, that's your Semitic right. languages cool. are all very very uh very connected. So yeah, that would be. Um. But yeah, bar is just the the Aramaic. For, so it, you, you could push that even farther, and I'm not sure if we're meant to or not. But um, you could ask, which father are you a son of? Is kind of kind of maybe what's being implied here. Like, and Barabbas is a, fa- a son of his father. He's a son of. Um, he's a son of. Uh, he's he, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Kind of thing could be uh, suggested in this, right? Like this is what generations do they miss it they don't get the point it's an exercise in futility they keep building kingdoms and it keeps failing and jesus is the son of the father um who takes a a radically different approach to to the will of the lord so we've mentioned Pilate. we've mentioned barabbas what is important about what happens with the soldiers you know, I think it's more of the same. Um, we have Mark, in a sense, emphasizing the same point three times. Uh, first, with Pilate, there's this irony of the truth is on Pilate's lips, and he doesn't recognize it. Then with the crowds, the, the truth, the, the choice stands right before them. And they, they choose wrongly. They they are show themselves to be outsiders. They're ever seeing but never perceiving. And now here we have the soldiers, the the military machine. Same thing. They're treating Jesus as king. They're putting crown on him, royal color. They're they're leading him down, you know, coronation. But they're trying to mock him. But what they're doing is exactly right. It's exactly right. the truth right. of what's happening. They just don't see it. Right. And, and that's where what Mark is writing here is profoundly tragic. And, you know, of course, I think when we read these passages, we focus on what Jesus is going through, and rightly so. And we think about the, the tragedy and unfairness and injustice of the cross. But I think there's another tragedy going on here. And it is this, this parade of people who are right there next to the truth, and they don't see it. it you know, they're actually taking actions which are true. And don't even see it as as such. And so, um, it, it's just it's deeply troubling in a sense when when I read it because, again, it's easy for me to read it from my armchair and go, "Oh wow, so terrible what Jesus went through for me." And that's where I think a lot of Christians go to and we stop is, oh, Jesus went through this for me. It's so amazing and boundless love and endless grace. And that's all true and should be thought about and celebrated and focused. But there, Mark won't let us stop there if we listen to him. And he's like, no, you got to go further. You have to go deeper because you can be standing right in front of truth and not perceiving it. And all throughout his gospel, he's been pleading with us to open our eyes and see that we could be claiming to follow Jesus, but not on the way of the cross. And where, you know, the question is, as Jesus is going on this way of the cross, and we talked about this starting in Gethsemane, um, when we talked about Gethsemane, where are the disciples? Where, where are they? Because I, I don't see anyone else right here, right now, on the way of the cross, it is only Jesus. 
And, and so they have all, again, they've heard Jesus warn them. They've heard Jesus say over and over again, I'm going the way of the cross. This is what's happening. And I'm calling you to go with me. They've heard that. They've heard him say, you're, gonna, you're not going to do it. You're not ready to do it. You need the Spirit. They've heard all that. And yet they still haven't seen the truth. And I think that's part of the, the message here um, and the connection with the Son. Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, all the way back at the beginning of Mark, the Spirit descended on the Son. And the Spirit enabled him to go the way of the cross. And so I think there's a subtle message from Mark there that we are going to need the oh, Spirit. I love that point. I, I, th- I think that's exactly right. That yeah, you're seeing you're seeing the power of God, not just human will. Uh, that, right. that has to be true. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I one, remember years ago. Oh, no, let, go ahead. let me just say this, and then Please. I want to hear your thought. But I remember years ago there was a, a pretty popular Bible teacher at the time who did a video, and it was kind of on this whole concept about what Jesus wanted the disciples to realize, uh, and and I think he was utilizing the whole Peter walking on water thing was that the disciples should have faith in themselves. Oh, I know that and, video. And yeah, and believe themselves to follow Jesus and and in the way of the rabbi and all this and that was that was what Jesus wanted. Believe, and believe I, in yourself, right, right. Yes, and even 15 years ago when that came out I was like profoundly no because when they did have faith in themselves, they they blew it. They they had the wrong agenda. That's what Mark is saying. Like, no, 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 no. You need the Spirit. They didn't need faith in themselves. They needed the Spirit. And when the Spirit came upon them, and they surrendered to the Spirit, that's when we see them start to walk the way of the cross. Jason, what were you going to say? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, no, it, the Bible has. Uh, who is the guy that just wrote a book? Is it Zal? That can't be right. Someone wrote a book called Low Anthropology, but that fits here. The Bible has a pretty low anthropology, right? Like it's not, it doesn't imagine humans are as as awesome as we think we are. Zal, okay, yeah, I've not read it, so I'm not not endorsing it, but but um, and there may be limits to low anthropology, especially giving given our current situation where you know people are always in crisis so, but but I think there's something to that that yeah it doesn't it doesn't present the human being as the you know the the locus of of strength and 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 power and I think I think there's a comment like that happening you know one of the things I was going to say is and this is just in the moment as we as we're talking about this um you know these soldiers are acting how you'd expect those who are part of the machine, part of the system, to act. Their values are right in line with the values of Rome. Like, this is a despicable detractor, uh, which deserves to be mocked. It's not actually a king. Rome's in charge. And so it's, it's logical that they'd act this way. Um, but it need not be the case that they act this way. And and I think that's always, that stands out to me, that what Jesus is doing will break through those who represent the empire. It'll break into hearts. Like I think of what's coming later in chapter 15 with the centurion. Uh, I think of Cornelius in the book of Acts and, you know, these people in positions of authority within the the military within, you know, high positions of power within Rome, uh, what Jesus does reaches and breaks through this. And in it breaking through it, it also ends up being a critique of the whole thing. Um, I just find that to be, it's funny because you see them mocking here, but in a short while we're going to see someone actually make a claim. Like they do see it. Um, So it's really, really cool. Michael, any more thoughts or Jason before we move on to take a selfie as we continue the conversation? Let, let's, yeah, let's let's move on to take a selfie. And uh, you know, I, I really want to hear, G, what is swirling about in your head? Um, 
as we kind of bring to a point all the context of this um, and everything, how, how, how does it hit you as you, as you sit there, um, you know, and, and you've been on this journey of Mark with us the whole time, although you took the, the brief respite because, you know, you had to <laughs> have a baby. Um, right. <laughs> that was but, uh, not tough at all. Yeah, no, no, you know, no, uh, no, of course, crazy tough. Uh, and, and I know you continued to listen to a lot of the episodes when we were gone. So you've gone, you've gone through this. You've been studying, Mark. You, you hear what we're saying. What important challenges from Mark do you think we might need to hear or miss in a passage like this? Like, how, how does this hit you? I think it just, as I'm, from Gethsemane on, it was just really challenging for me. Um, you know, am I like not just willing, but am I going to be alert when Jesus is praying? Like just trying to put myself in the role of these disciples, because I never looked at it before reading Mark as, you know, this is for those trying to live out the way of the cross, those that are following Jesus, like for disciples, if that is who this book is like aiming the text at. And so, uh, like I said, from Gethsemane on, I was just really challenged. And even here, you know, to your point, like who was around him? <laughs> like, where were they all at? And, uh, you know, I, it, it just goes to show and it's very vivid in Mark that the way of the cross is not easy. And for a lot of people, it's hard to show up, but that's what we're challenged to do here. So, um, as I'm wrapping up this conversation in this section, you know, portioning out Pilate, Barabbas, and the and the soldiers, and we didn't even talk about the disciples until you just pointed out at the very end, where were they? You know, recognize they're not there. That's the most striking thing to me. Like, when I look at the language of how it's written, who is left out? And, you know, I think it's very important what names were used. And, you know, we talked about in the last episode, I think, just the the naked man. He didn't have a name and things like that. But in this section, Pilate has a name. Okay, what does Pilate represent in Mark? What does the crowd represent? What does Barabbas represent? The soldiers. Um, so I think you've done a really good job, in, in my mind, of showing me how I can be a part of all those different groups um, along with the disciples, instead of being with Jesus, which we're not really seeing anybody has. Um, and I think that was part of Jesus's point was like, he needed to prepare his followers along the way while he was there, um, before his resurrection, just what was coming, who, what the father is about, what the way the cross is about. Um, and I think it's so interesting that Jesus took this amount of time, like the three years that he took to really get to know his followers teach them, to have compassion on them, to have grace on every moment where they had shortcomings here in Mark, because it is like so frequent. Um, and then for him to resurrect, like, I feel like if he, he would have just done this in like, oh, I, I called you. And then by the way, this is what's going to happen. And I, I'm doing it next week. Like, I don't think that would have been enough because we even see here this amount of time wasn't enough in Mark. They're just not getting in. They just keep missing it, missing it, missing it. So I don't know if I answered any of your question, but it just makes me a lot more pensive um, in the way that we've read this to slow down really all of Mark, but specifically the way of the cross and focus on how yeah. can I apply that every day? So that's where I'm at in the take a selfie section. Yeah. Well, you, you did answer my question because my, my question was, how does it hit you? So of course... Uh, that was a <laughs> those are my thoughts answer yes i can't i can't say no gianna those are not your thoughts incorrect uh, <laughs> um but so he, let, let me say this and and i want to hear what you guys think of this here here's what hits me with this is there has been throughout the gospel of mark there is this unrelenting call to the way of the cross right it, it just is to cruciform living, and Mark keeps drilling it down again and again and again and again, and, and there's no escape from it. Um, and, and it is, I just used the word relentless, it is, it's relentless. And yet, 
we we've brought this up a few times before, but there is this beauty in the fact that even though the disciples keep failing, they keep following Jesus. Not in the way of the cross, not in the way that he wants, but they keep trying. And they they have wrong perceptions, but they are staying there with Jesus. And you have the crowds who have the wrong perception. They want a different kind of king. And when they're given the choice, they, they go the other way. They, 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 go, they, they just reject Jesus. The disciples are missing it, but they keep choosing Jesus. They keep trying to get it, right? And so point. There, there is this beautiful tension, I think, in being called to the way of the cross and the challenge of discipleship, and yet this amazing patience and grace that God shows where this is not about me earning this or doing enough to be considered a great disciple. It is it is, is simply continuing to be willing that it is a, a surrender rather than a victory on my part. It's not something I accomplish. It's something I have to empty out and let the, the Spirit do. Um, and so that's that's very profoundly comforting to me in the sense of like, I don't have to achieve, I just have to empty out, you know? Um, and, and so, um, I, I don't know, does that, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, you know, I I see in this, and it's probably because it's fresh in my mind because I just gave a talk on on Job, but you know, Job, Job, you know, for those who are familiar, it's a story about intense suffering and protest, lament, um, and an encounter with God. So it's a number of things are happening, but one of the central points. I think is, you know, this phrase is used, avdi, uh, my, my servant, uh, my servant, Job. Uh, God calls him my servant, and he suffers. Um, and he suffers, uh, the Hebrew word is chinam. He suffers for, for no good reason. Uh, there's no excuse. He's, not, he's a really good person who suffers greatly. And Job himself can't figure that out, and he, he's... He works out trying to trust God. He knows he's not done anything wrong, uh, but he has to sit with everything going wrong, even though he's a good person. And in the end, he, he comes to a place of quiet trust. And and his friends, uh, his friends who have not supported him, they've only agitated his pain throughout, uh, God tells his friends, I need you to go ask Job for help. Uh, I want you to ask Job to pray for me to forgive you. And they go to Job, who's suffering, and has Job, who's found some trust in God, uh, and they ask, they ask Job to pray for them. And he does, and, and the text says God hears Job's prayer. Like God listens to the suffering righteous one. And, and that's, that's the story of Scripture, like over and over and over. The story of the Bible is about God's servant who suffers chinam. He suffers without any, for no reason, like he's righteous. But you know how hard it is to trust God when you're suffering for doing nothing wrong? <laughs> like you don't deserve it. It's unfair. Yeah. But when, wow. the, when the person who suffers and they, have, they know they're, they're, they're a good person, but they're still suffering and they find trust in God, God opens a channel of salvation and forgiveness which flows out from that person, that they become a source of life. Uh, God uses suffering and loss to be the vehicle for his own salvation and prayer for the nations, for the, for the people. And here you see a righteous man who no one is, no one is helping, no one's defending, and he's suffering. He's he's telling that story again, and he finds a way to trust God. And everyone who looks, they'll be confronted with: Do they see in this suffering righteous person 
the mercy of God, the power of God, or do they just see a casualty, someone who pushed his religion too far and it cost him his life? And depending on how you take, take Jesus on, you're going to experience salvation. And I just think it's, it's, it's really troubling that this is the way. And it's interesting, Paul, for example, will call himself the servant of God. He means the same thing, that this episode with Jesus this is the victory of God, which anyone who comes to Jesus will have to live out that same victory, which looks like being righteous but still suffering. <laughs> like the salvation of God continues to make an appearance just like this. It's not different now. And so I just think we're, we're, we're getting a picture of what it's going to look like to experience God's deliverance, and it starts with suffering. And it's, it's really troubling. Um, but what are you going to do? You can't explain that away. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm helping by saying any of this. This is how God works. <laughs> this is how he works, not some other way. So how do, we, yeah. how do we apply what you guys are talking about to our church communities? I mean, it sounds like you're saying it's the way of suffering. How, how do I, we... I, purposely allow ourselves to suffer. I mean, what does that even mean? Well, I I will well, I think there's suffering just being in the world, right? I think just living yeah. in our world is suffering. And we're always tempted to handle that poorly. But I'll tell you, I don't I think I don't think suffering is acting like it's not suffering. You're like, "Oh, just praise God anyways. It's all good." Like, "Well, it's so awesome. We're, you know, we're saved and God loves us and it's awesome." I mean, there's a level of that, and when that's sincere, praise God. When that's real, you know, like Amen. Um, but I think part of the way forward is to just is acknowledging, hearing that people are crying out. Yeah, they're saying things that are troubling because they're hurting, but they're crying out um, because it's it's hard. And I think some of that is how we trust God. Like when I hear someone crying out that it's unfair, it's unfair. Um, they're crying out to God that it's unfair. That's an act of faith. Like, I see in that some of what Jesus is doing, learning to trust. I'm bringing this to God. It's unfair. Uh, But even in saying it's unfair, that sounds like something you shouldn't say to God, but you're saying it to God rather than just saying it to someone else. You're bringing it to God. So I think part part of this is, for me, is learning to acknowledge that it is tough, and things aren't right in our world. Things are off. Being honest about that, crying out and not being ashamed or afraid to just say, hey, God, help us, because I don't see your work in any of this. Like, I don't get it. You know, even Jesus had to do that, you know? Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good question, and I love what Jason just said there. I, I'm I'm going to take a little different tack, but I think it's, um, complimentary it, it to it. Better Jason be the said. same as what I said, Michael. <laughs> okay, Jason, I will say what you're, <laughs> Jason's, Jason's texting me right now. What that's I right. Say. Don't you contradict um, me publicly. That's right. Oh, it says, I 100% agree with Jason. <laughs> right. He is handsome and right all there of the time. There it is. Follow okay. the script. Yeah. No, I think when it comes to what does this look like in our communities? In one sense, that's what Mark has been trying to describe all along. And it's good to see an appearance by baby Zaza, by the way. She has uh, made her appearance on the episode. There she is. Oh. Uh, cute. And, uh, okay, neck muscles still need work, I see. But um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> working on that. Oh. Yeah, she's getting there. Is is uh, Princess Hannah going to make an appearance on the episode today? Um, probably. Yeah, maybe later. Okay. Yeah. So I I think when um when it comes to applying this, I think that that's what Mark has been trying to describe all along. Part of it is just an acceptance. And an awareness that we are called to be cross bearers for yeah. the world. And and not bearing your cross in the sense of, oh, I'm just willing to inconvenience myself a little bit. Right. But somebody who is really willing to die and take on the status of nothingness. Um, 
and which is deeply profound. And then the other element of that is, I don't know how we apply it, Gianna. Hey, I think, amen. No, that's right. Great. That's, that's yes. It, thank you. you yeah. <laughs> well, I think, but but what I mean by that is, I think it's part of the mystery, I and we right want here. such certainty. Well, hello, Princess Hannah. There she is. <laughs> How how are you doing today, Hannah? She's like, anyways, go on. You were talking about suffering. Um, Yes. How are you doing, Hannah? Good. Hannah, do you like to suffer? Right. (laughs) Good answer. No. Good answer. She's like, isn't that what my dad does all the time? Like, is that (laughs) what you mean by my dad? Do you like it when things are not fair? No, that's what I don't mean. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. All right, that's all you get. Oh, and with that, she has dropped the mic and yeah. left the room. Yeah. She's got Cheetos like, Dad, and puppy candy. That's so. what I don't mean. Yeah. Don't speak for me. Peace. Yep. All right. Good luck, man. She's not even a teenager yet. Um, no, but let me just finish this thought. I think I think we want certainty all the time. We want, as Christians, we like, and that's kind of when I grew up, in the Christian world, the evangelical world, everything was like, we have the right answers. We have complete yeah. truth, absolute yep. truth. We yep. know what it is The nobody else does. We, we know what to say and wow. do in every right. situation because we have the word of God to guide us. And we do have the word of God, but the word of God, I think, calls us to sit sometimes in uncertainty, in, in, in faith, in, in fear, trust, and not uh, right. knowing, in trust. Totally. I don't know what the next step is going to look like. It, it might be painful, but this is what I'm called to. And I trust that even if it is painful, as God says to Israel, sitting in exile, I know the plans I have for you. And their plans to harm you and not prosper you didn't seem pleasant to Israel at the time to be in exile. This is Jeremiah 29. It didn't seem rosy. didn't seem like a great plan. And yet trusting God even in that. And I think so we in the church sometimes we want we want what the disciples wanted. We want to be victorious. Uh-huh. We want to grow. We want everything to be easy and we want to be powerful and influential and baptism upon baptism upon baptism and everything to go well. And we don't really want that way of the cross so much. And, and so that's where I think we need to sit with Mark for a while and go, wow, what does this mean for us? And just sit with it. Yeah. And, and the person who does that for the, or the group of people who finds the ability through honesty, through working it over, through fighting with their own fears to trust God. The person who can sit in the gray, unanswered, ambiguous places in life, they become a source of salvation in some sense. And I don't mean like it originates with them, but or they become a sign of that salvation. And I think that was, you know, that was Isaiah's whole point with the suffering servant. I think that's what Jesus is doing is like, Deliverance, true deliverance, comes from not hard work, <laughs> but from a deep and abiding trust in God when all is lost. Like, and that ultimately is how death is overcome. God reaches down to deliver. We don't climb our way out of the grave. God reaches down to us. And so it's it's I love that you're saying there's no answers. That at the end of the day. Our our faith doesn't depend on us having a bunch of answers. It it it's determined by our ability, not our ability. How do I want to say this? By whether or not we will find faith, trust, right, belief in God. Trusting that God has the answers. Surrender. Yeah, trusting that God. Yeah, that's the idea, right? Starting with instead of um, how do I get my way out, but starting with God. Not even what do I what am I feeling, but starting with God. What does God know? What can God see? What might God do? Like all of those questions help contextualize our lives and our situation. Um, but that is not a practical sermon. Like point number one, like go do this. Point number two, go do this. Like that's just going to fail you. It has. Well, the- that's part of the problem, isn't it? It is. Let me jump in and say yeah. we want everything practical, relevant, uh, immediate to my life. And that's not what the Bible is doing. Nope, 
it's a veneer of of usefulness that ends up failing you because you inevitably will have to to face challenges for which those things won't always work. And we want everything fixable. Like there's always something that can fix a situation. In Jesus' case, there was point. no fixing the cross. Like it is what it is. That's what you're going to yeah, do. And yeah. And obviously, I mean, maybe if you want to go far and say that the fix was his resurrection. Yes, there was an answer to his death for sure from God, but he still had to go through it. And I think that's something right. that I struggle with is like, I feel like in America, the whole thing is if you work hard, you do all these things, like you can achieve, you can make your life what it is, you can all these things. But as COVID showed us, we can't control right, right. anything, really, if we think we have any power over it. So the only option is to surrender to the struggle and really trust God. Regardless, that's something I've been talking with a friend about. It's just how do we find peace when there is no peace? What do we learn uh-huh. from Jesus when he's... Yep you know, sleeping on the boat and everything's chaotic. How do we do that? It's just so difficult, so difficult. But I think you guys made a lot of great points. Any other final thoughts? Oh, well, I I have many, but we should should just move into the closing portion of our show because I think we've covered enough. But gosh, yeah, we could spend another three or four hours talking about this. Well, baby Z will not hang on for that. So, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jason, anything from you? Our kingdom come portion. Is that where we are? Or we're at wrap up? Well, I think that's what we just did. Yes. Okay. We're talking about how we apply it. We're we're wrapping up. Join us. Stay with us, Jason. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. I'm I'm switching back and forth between you and my favorite soap opera. I might have neglected my host duties and didn't say that we were in that. I might have just asked a question. No, no, no. You you didn't do anything wrong. I've been paying attention. I'm just dumb. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Final thoughts. No, I don't have any. I mean, we've said a lot of great, great things, I think. Um, We've said a lot of great things. That was pretty arrogant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What what Jason meant to say is, I've said a lot of great things here today. Thank you, Michael and Gianna, for contributing. This is how (laughs) we know the show is wrapping up, because we're rambling on. falling apart, yeah. (laughs) Right. But as we wrap up the show, we do, I think, Michael, want to shout out a few people. For supporting us on Patreon. I do. I do. And before I even get to that, I do want to mention, you know, we get um, emails from listeners, which we always appreciate and would love more of. And I got one this week, which was really great. I'm not going to read or or say the name of the person because I, I haven't contacted him yet to have permission to do that, to say his name on air. But he writes an amazing letter and has an amazing story that I'd actually love to explore. On an, is this on the one you sent to me? Something. Yes, yes. That, yeah, yeah, that is but I, I did want to. I did want to just read, without giving any identifying factors, the last paragraph of this wonderful letter. He said, uh, um, "I love your guys' work. Adding Gianna is one of the best decisions Michael and Jason could have ever made. She adds tremendous value to the conversations. Congrats to you and Reggie on the newborn. Mm-hmm. So I I did want to read that. You're here. Um, we agree. We yep. agree. But let me do uh, give shout outs quickly to our new Patreon members this week. Um, Laura G. Rochelle G. Mark H, Katie M, Pamela D, Joshua D, Linda F, Connie L, and William V. Thank you so much for supporting us. You are amazing people. And if you've noticed um, last episode and this episode that the sound was significantly better. That is a direct result of our Patreon supporters and our ability to um, add some software and equipment that helps us uh, with our product. So thank you so much. Thank you. We need an applause uh, button there, Derek, just so you're Exactly. Oh, I think we have one. I'm going to see if this works. Tell me if it works. It does. I hear a faint, faint something yeah. in the back. Faint? Okay, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. 
But everyone know that we're clapping. We're excited. We are thankful, grateful, all the things for your support for the Icon Podcast. We want to continue to bring you guys content and just helpful things as you're trying to mull through the Bible as we all are understanding this life of faith. If you want to comment, subscribe, or even you can like us, please do. You can also send us a note like the one we shared today at iconpodcast at gmail.com. Calm. We would love to hear from you guys. We always like hearing our fan feedback. For now, I'm Gianna Hearn saying bye for Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. We'll catch you guys next time.